Homestyle Green, Episode 90, Solar Ray, Designing Environmentally Functional Homes. G'day, Matthew Cutler-Welsh here for Episode 90 of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast all about inspiring people to make a better place to live. Thank you very much for tuning in, and thank you also to our great sponsors of the show, Nadora. Nadora.com is where you should head on over if you've got any interest in getting a great solution that's been very well developed in Canada and is widely used across the world now for insulating your concrete slab or for indeed building walls and whole homes and other structures quite fast and more importantly energy efficiency uh, design is a big part of why that Nadora system has been invented. It's actually an insulated concrete form or an ICF. It's one of a few but it's a good one so check it out and we're seeing, I'm pleased to see that there are more and more examples of ICF type of construction taking place here in New Zealand and also elsewhere across the Tasman in Australia and certainly you're seeing quite a lot of it in North America and Europe as well. Now, this week I've got on the show Duncan Firth, and he's actually talking to me from Bangkok in Thailand, where he's doing a bit of design work for some expats at the moment, but he can also design houses, as he calls it, by remote control. And I think that's, that's just such a great uh, example of why it's good to be a designer. You are in an electronic age, and... You're kind of geographically independent, which is a bit ironic because we talk a lot about in the about just how important designing for the local environment is. But it's kind of nice to know that you can do that, not necessarily um, being on site all the time. So here he is, and I started out by asking Duncan why he does what he does. Well, I think it's something that I'm kind of compelled to do, really. Compelled, I like that. Yeah, I think um, I've always had an interest in environmental design and I think probably growing up in the back halls of Northland. Um, I guess I was lucky enough to you know, live, live in basically a forested area and um, and I guess kind of out of that came, I guess, an awareness of the yep. environment and, um, and, you know, the good things that we do and, you know, and a lot of the bad things that we do. Um, so I guess from that, I, I, I guess from that, you know, things evolved into architecture um and you know, i went off and got educated um right. my bachelor, bachelor of architecture and it turned out to be um yeah it turned out to be probably the, for my school set it turned out to be probably one of the better ways that i think i could address um environmental issues um so yeah so from from there i, I guess i developed an interest in um and in environmental design and um i think that it's I think as humans, I think we take more from the from the earth than what we can't than what we give back. And um, I think kind of where we're at at the moment is it's just simply we're not we're taking more than what we what we kind of give. And I think it's it's you know it's, it's I guess for me that's really drives um, you know this compulsion to 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 do what I do. Hmm. Do you see yourself firstly? Um, driven to help the environment or is the main driver and being an architect and, and creating stuff or are they sort of even? 
I think uh, with I think the great thing about architecture, it gives you an ability to, to design houses that really respond to the physical environment. And what I mean by that is that I think good design, um, you know, addresses it addresses the physicality of like sun paths, um, wind directions, uh, and materials. Um, yeah. And you know what we do, um, you know, as far as architecture goes, has you know, has huge impacts on on the environment and and as far as sustainability goes. Yep. So I think um, so I think the main driver uh, is I mean I guess there's a few different ways that you can approach architecture. It's either you know you're you're producing an aesthetic um, that isn't necessarily connected to the environment. You know, say for example, you know, glass beautiful glass boxes. Um, that look really nice, but they don't necessarily function with the environment. Uh, they're, you know, they're energy hungry. You know, they overheat. Uh, yeah, they're not. They're not particularly nice to live in. You can see right through them. Yeah, you, yeah, um, and which is good. <laughs> which is good. And um, it's good on the I front think, of a magazine. Uh, pardon? It's good on the front of a magazine. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, modern media, media. You know, I think. Um, you know, I mean, I, I guess a lot of the buildings that they promote as green design. You know, these kind of luxurious, kind of, you know, well, I think they're kind of luxurious, sustainable designs that, you know, a lot of them are take on these, you know, these very kind of modernist aesthetics. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's, you know, I, I'm not really convinced on how green they really are. Yeah. But, you know, to answer your question, I think um, as far as architecture goes, it's really, it's really addressing how we design buildings that, respond to the environment and you know and you know working with your local sun paths and you know designing buildings which will naturally heat themselves and cool themselves and, um, so i think that's probably the fundamental driving premise and then and then i guess after that that is affordability and, right um, and and you know kind of looking at you know i guess you kind of materials that you use and you know building green isn't cheap so you know i think um I mean, as a as a designer, uh, you know, there's I mean, there's two areas where where I think I can get them right straight away without um, without really kind of adding extra costs to the house, which is which is basically passive solid design and, and passive ventilation, um, which relates to energy efficiency. And then after that is um, you know I guess that's materials and you know materials are really dependent on budget. Um, yeah. And and you know whether or not you're going to go for a, you know a green timber. Um, you know, a, uh, you know, a natural hardwood, which is you know normally going to be perhaps twice the price, it's pine, or, yeah. um, or or MDF. Um, yeah. yeah. So, hmm. so you just said that building green isn't cheap, but there are some fundamental things that you can do which don't cost anything. At what point does building green become more expensive? When the budget comes in, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, before that, it's all um, good. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, I mean, it, I think everyone comes, everyone has their wish list. And, you know, the, you know, the, I mean, I guess the clients that I deal with, they, everyone has a wish list and, you know, they'd like the house to be this big and, um, you know, they'd like it to look this certain way and they'd like to use this type of material. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I guess you know, what we do is we, we um, I mean, and that's what we want too. I mean, we, we you know, we pretty much share their vision as well. Um, but I think, you know, what we do is develop the design and, and it gets to a certain stage where we send it out to a quantity surveyor. And, you know, this, 
all of a sudden this this $450,000 budget is yeah. blown up to $700,000. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a matter of, and you know, that's that's including all your your green gadgets and you know, your solar panels and you know, your uh, your eco fleece insulation and you know, your you know, your water efficient tapware and and so what it is is it's a matter of, you know, going through that spreadsheet with the QS and the client. And, and basically cutting down um, the budget, really, and taking those items out. Uh, well, t- taking certain items out that they can do without. So we don't often really scale down the plans, uh, so right. well, say the size. Um, but, you know, it's going in and making material changes. Um, you know, instead of, say, for example, instead of cladding the building in cedar or Lawson Cypress, um, you know, you end up going for you know, fine, um, yep. which is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess that's, you know, that's when you really, um, you know, that's when I guess I, it's it's difficult for clients because, you know, they have this dream uh, of building a house, but, um, you know, but when the budget kind of kicks in, you know, that, you know, yeah, that really drives home, you know, the expenses of building and, uh, and you know, and the difficulties of, you know, managing managing budget over performance and, and yeah. environmental design and sustainability. Yeah. Given that you know that that's a likely outcome of the concept stage, do you do anything to try and temper your clients' expectations early on? Uh, I mean, I, I we're, I'm always honest with clients, and you know, you know, just simply telling them what I think, and uh, yep. I mean. You know, you, you develop a intuitive feeling uh, for people and the houses and you know, and uh, the, basically the the budget. Um, do people tell, do be, people tell you the truth when they tell you the budget first time? Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Um, right. And you know, it's just something that you have to go along with. Um, I think it's probably fifty fifty. Really? Um, yeah. <laughs> Which is quite difficult because you know. Yeah. The, big, the bigger the budget, you know, the more the work it is for me, and it's it's very difficult to, you know, come back, you know, halfway through the process, and you know, the, you know, the clients, you know, the clients have, you know, the, the budget's changed, and it's you know it's gotten a lot bigger, and um, you know, and you know, then I'm stuck with all this workload, and and you know, you can see the clients, you know, don't really want to pay for, you know my extra service, well, the, the additional work that I have to put into it. So it's, it's yeah. quite difficult. Yeah. Yeah, really difficult. Yeah, because they don't want to pay the architect. They want, to, they want to buy a house. Well, that's right, exactly. And, you know, I mean, it's some, – whereas some clients are really good, though, too. I mean, they can understand the value uh, that, you know, that, you know, architects and designers add to the project. Uh-huh. And, um, and I guess probably that's one of the things I also talk about to the um, – I guess you – I guess you as, like, as you progress through projects, you learn what – to say and um, I think um, I mean now I guess in all my proposals you know, anything that's over 10% of the um, agreed budget you know, it's, I, I make it clear that's, that's something that we've got to negotiate on right um, right yeah. what do you see um, currently or just in general as the biggest issues with typical house design so not, not the type of work that you do but just mm-hmm. in the houses that you look around what, what do you see as the biggest issues well, I think for New Zealand, the biggest issues are really kind of volume house builders, um, design yep. builders, build companies. And I mean, they, they're doing a, a good job of what they're doing, and they haven't got an easy job either. I mean, they've got to deliver, um, you know, affordable houses, you know, with 
you know, within this fifteen hundred dollar per square meter cost, which is which is really difficult to do that. Um, but unfortunately, out of that comes, you know, you know, I, well, I guess in a nutshell, what I think is um, that the issues are really to do with just generally bad design. Um, yep. And by that, by that, I mean bad layouts. Um, you know, plans that just don't face the right way, or they're not oriented orientated correctly to the sun, um, or yep. even just simple things like privacy issues. Uh, then, right. then out of that, there's also a technical design issue, um, and that's to do with uh, energy efficiency and insulation, and you know, just correctly understanding, uh, you know, how the thermal envelope works uh, on the house. I mean, it's, you know, it's, so that, that's a, that's a huge issue. Yeah. Um, affordability is a big issue. I mean, most most people in New Zealand who want to build, I think maybe 90% of them. No, I think they're all within you know, around about the two hundred fifty to four hundred fifty thousand dollar um, ballpark figure, um, and that's about I think that's about ninety percent of houses uh, that are built in New Zealand. So the build um, the build cost is is around two fifty. Yeah, well, the, uh, for the average New Zealander uh, who wants to build, they've got they've got between two hundred fifty to four hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, and um, and what's happened is um, I guess. You know, particularly in the last 10 years, is that those projects now have been picked up by design build companies and architects have um, progressed on to, I guess, kind of, you know, kind of bigger projects that, you know, pay their fees and pay, their sal- pay you know, the salaries that they want. Um, so there's, there's, there's a gap in the market that's, um, that's, you know, being picked up by design build companies. And, um, and you know, essentially what they're delivering are, um, you know, uh, to I mean, I hate I hate to be kind of really blunt about it, but I mean, for me, I think you know, it's just it's just basically inadequate design and uh, an inadequate uh, technical design. Um, and that's you know, that's to do with the design build companies. I think it's to do yeah. with the, the, the developers as well. Um, you know, they're kind of more driven by profits um, rather than um, you know, rather than kind of looking at the longevity of these. Um, you know, of, of these kind of medium um, types of developments, medium cost developments. Well, it's almost what you're saying is that only the people who are building high-end houses, so basically only the, only the rich people, can actually yes. afford to have design take place. That's right. Because yeah. every, the other houses are kind of being built to a formula or um, they're certainly not designed in the architectural sense. They're, they're they're put together so that they're code compliant and the the numbers look correct yes. for yes. for that that formula of providing yes. volume housing. Yes, that's right. And so it's kind of lack of design. Yeah, it's lack of design, but I don't think it has to be like that. And um, I think that I mean for sure, you know, it, it's 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 difficult to build on you know, fifteen hundred dollars per square meter, which these guys are building yeah. on. But I think that. You know, I, I think that I mean, really, there's no reason why a um, you know, some good design consultant um, could be involved early on uh, yep. in laying out these um, these projects. I mean, you can you can design a GJ Gardner home or a Genian home uh, quite easily. Uh, you know, to, to to work with passive solid design principles, um, passive cooling design strategies, uh, you know, good layouts. There's no reason why. A, uh, a a a smaller budget house can't have those um, design aspects, and 
and you know, and also you know, increasing the, the R value, R values and installation. It's, um, I mean, those, I, you know, I think that to increase your R values to, you know, for example, in your walls up to something like three in the walls, and maybe perhaps somewhere around about four or five in the, in the ceilings. I mean, those those aren't big costs. You know, you're looking at maybe a couple couple thousand dollars to do that. So. I think you know there's definitely a lot of opportunity to um, you know to, to really look at those those smaller budgets and um, and but uh, you know it's really kind of getting developers and um, on board and, and really trying to tra- change that mindset. So let's let's look at that one specifically because um, I think some people are in the in a space where they want some specifics. Mm. So current code requirements about. Was it 1.9? R uh, 1.9 in the walls, mm-hmm. which is pretty easily done on a on a 90 mil stud. What's what's the easiest way of of upping that? To you mentioned three there um, for the R value of the wall. What? How would you do that? Well, I think it's just shock. It's just kind of shopping around it. You shopping around uh, your different insulation companies. Uh-huh. I mean, they've all got different um, different kind of materials. You know, with, with different types of R values. Yep. Um, uh, I mean, although I'm not much of a believer in pink bats, um, uh, their you know their R values are really good. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, they've got their ultra now that's um, a denser material, which will fit into a, I think a, a 90 mil stud still. Yeah, which is which is great. Um, whereas you know you're kind of more uh, eco orientated um, products. Um, you know, say for example, eco insulation, eco fleece. Uh, you know, I think I think it is for the houses that I'm working on. I mean, I'm, I'm working on a 140 millimeter stud, uh, and that's that's basically to increase the um, the RV of your walls. Yeah. Um, but you know, with uh, Echo Fleece, uh, I mean, it's it's a very environmentally friendly um, product, um, but you don't get as high R values. Um, right. Say compared to pink bats, um, which you know. Yeah, pinkbacks. You know, you can go for a thinner wall uh, with pinkbacks with, um, uh, with a with an equal R value. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, but you know, it, I guess it's you know environmental design. I mean, there's always pros and cons for you know, different types of materials. Yeah. From so, your, yeah, I think from your experience, how much does going to a one forty stud add to the cost? <laughs> My, uh, well, it's well. I mean, I guess probably you know to to go in that direction. I mean, I, I guess you know. Well, it's it, it's 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 a significant increase Is in, it? Your, in, your, in your timber costs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't give you a specific no, number, but because it depends on the I size mean, of the house and the the height of yeah, the, just the height of the wall right. and everything. But I mean, I think you're probably looking in the ballpark somewhere. You know, maybe fifteen to twenty percent um, additional timber costs for your right. walls. Right. Yeah. If someone's looking at a renovation or a new build, what are say top three things that they should be considering to make a, a better home? Well, I think I think it comes down to really to good design layout. So you know you, you want to get the correct layout that works for the site. Yeah. Um, dealing with privacy aspects um, and sunlight. Um, I think health and comfort. Um, so you know that's really you know looking looking at your insulation really uh, again. Um, 
and making sure. I mean, I think investing in insulation is, is just so fundamental, and uh, and you know, going for going for those higher R values is just going to make you so much happier. Um, so that's where you want to be putting a good chunk of your budget up front is is investing in that higher as high as you can. Yeah, I, I, as as high as you can for R values, but again, I think we're only really talking you know, perhaps somewhere in the vicinity of two to three thousand dollars, maybe a, a additional for your or, you know, increased R values. Yep. I think ins, insulating your concrete slab is is really really important. Yep. Um And it's yeah, it's you know it's quite normal these days that, that people insulate their concrete slabs. Um, is it? Yeah. Well, I'd know, like to I'd like to think it is. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe the projects that I'm working on, you know, it's, um, yeah, we, we don't, you know, well, I, I guess people don't really think twice about it. You know, they just um, they just accept it yep. uh, and insulate it. Yep. But, yeah, and then I, I guess kind of affordability, really. Um, you know, people, I think clients, it's, I, I guess in the construction industry, the, the most successful projects I've, I've worked on are where clients have, you know, assumed, now, a good portion of the responsibility, and I think that comes down to clients trying to really understand the costs of the building. Right. And, uh, and going in from the onset, um, you know, with you know, realistic expectations and you know a, a basic idea on on how thing, how much things cost. Yep. Um, yeah, I, and with with that in mind, you know, that means that you know they don't get to you know, the middle of the project or the end of the project. Uh, and the budget just blows out, um, and you know, and everyone, everyone, no one's happy. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, um, and you know, there's, you know, there's just, there's just a bad feeling about the project, um, which isn't a good way, you know, to start off, um, you know, living in your new house. So yeah. I think having those realistic um, expectations from the outset, and, and you know, trying to educate yourself um, about how what what things cost, um, what's available on the market. Um, yeah, I think that's. Those would be my, my recommendation. Cool. I want to talk a little bit about Solaray because, uh, first of all, people should definitely go and check out your website because you've got some stunning <laughs> images on there. One of the things that oh, jumps out <laughs> jumps out straight away on all your images is the size of your eaves, and that's something that I'm passionate like about eaves. because I've like talked eaves. quite a lot about that on this show. But I guess that, that harps back directly to your emphasis, and you've mentioned it a few times in that conversation already about the, the passive solar and di yeah. designing uh, with respect to the the environment that you're in, yes. is that sort of a direct result of that of that form form following function? Yeah, ab absolutely. So, uh, I mean, all all the houses are uh, well, about ninety percent of the houses on the website. Uh, the what drives? I mean, I guess the way that I make my architecture is through the environment. And, uh -huh. um, and you know what drives those eaves is you know, you know te technical analysis of you know looking at the sun, the sun paths, and trying to identify you know uh, you know how the sun is really going to uh, work specifically uh, with each house. Yeah, and, um, some of them are pretty big. They look like they're what uh, a meter. Uh, yeah, some of them are a meter. Some of them are one point seven. One point seven. Wow. Yeah. And that's um, that. That's because they have to be, not just because you think they look good. That's well, in and, and that particular case, the one that you're you're uh, looking at. Uh, well, say for example, there's one on our website that has a 1.7 meter um, eaves. Yep. Uh, I mean, we we could have 
I mean, and then that has quite a high um, stat height yep. um, that opens um, to the north. Um, we could have we could have probably trimmed that feeds down to maybe around about 1.4, um, 1.3. But for aesthetic reasons, you know, we, we decided to push it out. Um, right. Just, just to get just to get a nice aesthetic um, look on the house. But given that the standard is six hundred, it's it's a sizable difference. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I mean, Eve's design is, you know, it's, it's quite a specific calculation to do that. So, um, you know, with uh, and it, and it's a bit of kind of, well, there's a few ways that you can approach, um, you know, kind of working out your Eve's. Um, but I, I, I mean, the way that I work it out is essentially, you know, kind of mapping um, the sun path. Yep. And um, and working out, you know, you know, when I think, well, well, well actually, not not when I think, but when exactly the um, the midday sun during summer comes into the house, and that's really what we're trying to control. Yeah. Um, and that that really dictates the length of the eaves, uh, as as well um, as the amount of thermal mass in the house too. Um, uh, so you know, it's it's kind of a it's it's kind of looking at you know you know, your thermal mass ratios, um, you know, the amount of ventilation that we can get into the house as well. Yep. Um, that, you know, that add to this decision that we make about how long the eaves should be. Um, I mean, each, each location in New Zealand, I mean, there's the, you, know, the, you can, you, you can specifically work out, uh, what the midday sun angle, um, you know, what your eaves should be. And, you know, and it's it's relative to your um your stud house, stud yep. height, the northern yep. aspect. Um, and you know, and and, try, well, and trying to work out you know really how much sunlight you want to come pouring to that house. Yeah. Um, you know, during winter. Um, You've got some great diagrams that demonstrate that on your site that people can have a look at the cross cross sections showing the the winter and sun summer. Um, yes. Midday sun. Yes. Yes. And you've also, speaking of thermal mass, you've got some nice images of some black uh, concrete block walls on the inside as well, sort mm. of exposed but painted concrete block. Is that is that there primarily for thermal mass? Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, so that that particular wall that you're talking about is designed to really receive um, you know, your mid-June winter uh, sun. Right. And, um, yeah, so it's it's a stack bonded uh, concrete wall um, that we, we put a darkener on it just to basically enhance the colour of the concrete. Um, yeah, and a beautiful so, contrast with the with the timber uh, um, joinery as well. Yeah, the the timber joinery that's all macrocarpa um, on that. So uh, yeah, so and so that that, that wall is really designed. Um, I mean, there's two re two well, there's a couple of reasons why it's like that. It's obviously designed for the midday winter sun. Um, and having lots of thermal mass in the house like that also kind of draws off any moisture. Um, that, ha that, right. that particular that particular house, I mean, we, we don't have any moisture build up. There's no condensation build up in the house. Um, there's no um, no mold or anything. And that's in the Waikato. So, it's in the Waikato, which is and, cold. Um, Gets cold really down cold. there. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's really cold. Um, you know, and I, I, I you know I put that down to you know good orientation, um, you know, good ventilation. Yeah, and, and lots of, and lots of thermal mass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hey, just moving on from specific design and back to solar ray. Why is your what makes your practice a success? Well, I think success is uh, it's a, it's a bendy and windy road, and, yeah. uh, with lots of ups and downs. And um, so you know, I think you know, I'm, I'm 
living in Southeast Asia at the moment, working on projects projects up here. And uh, you know, I think being in a Buddhist culture, you know, coming from a Christian culture, uh, you um, <laughs> you you get to see the impermanence of um, of you know, I guess these processes that you go through in business. And I think business uh, is you know, it's a very impermanent process. Where, uh-huh. You have some great successes, and um, and then you have some really kind of windy and bendy roads. Um, yeah, and then you have your home straights. Um, so you know, I th- I think um, so that's one um, factor. I think um, I think you know we're you know, we're very specialized in what we do, mm-hmm. and um, and you know the kind of overriding kind of philosophy, I guess, is is really kind of designing environmentally friendly, uh, environmentally functional homes, and um, so, you know, I think, you know, that, that's part of the reason why people are attracted to us. And, um, is that a growing know, market? I think, there's, I think there's a great, I think with New Zealanders, there's a great awareness and understanding of environmental design. And I, I think it's, you know, it comes from, you know, the way that we live. And, yeah. Um, you know, when you can compare that to the bigger cities uh, throughout the world, uh, you, know, you really see a disconnect from, from nature. And, um, so as far as New Zealanders go, I think um, you know I think there's a great awareness that New, Ze- New Zealanders have for the environment, and um, and you know I think I mean certainly the people that um, I, I, I'm in contact with, they they all seem to have um, and you know they're you know from varying backgrounds and yeah. different types of budgets that they yeah. can um, spend on their houses. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I see um you know you know some, some I see people, you know, a great understanding of you know, how houses can work um, as far as you know, in regards to the environment. Yeah. Um, um, what's your favourite book? My favourite book. Um, my favourite book is probably The Fountainhead um, by Ayn Rand, but that's got nothing to do with probably uh, probably the answer that you're looking for. No, no, that's <laughs> but, that's all good. I, it's always interesting finding out where, what uh, people. Love to tune into. Yeah, or tune I'll, out I'll, yeah. Oh, but I'll, I think um, probably more, probably more along the lines of uh, what you're interested in is probably um, at the moment I've um, I've been reading um, reading a book written by Oliver James, who's a clinical psychologist uh, from the UK, and um, and he, he basically writes about uh, and he's quite good at kind of putting it across in a layman's um, way, but he writes about uh, about sustainability, um, consumerism, um, politics, um, and he's, he's he puts it across quite um, clearly. Um, you know, with the, the current situation that we're in with the environment um, and how that's related to consumption, uh, consumerism, uh-huh. um, and you know, and how that's really kind of being driven by. Um, I guess kind of liberal economic policies over the last thirty years. Right. Um, so um, yeah, so that's for me that that's you know that's a recent book that I've read and I found it quite helpful to to kind of really un, well to under, to get a different perspective on you know kind of where where we're at I, I guess economically um, and environmentally. Yep. Um, cool. Yeah. That so sounds that was, sounds a good one. Yeah, so that was Oliver James, um, yep. and then there's one other one, um, which is um, which is a book called Towards Zero Energy Architecture and New Solar Designs, and it's written by Mary Galzowski. Um, and 
that book, she kind of looks at, um, you know, I think there's probably maybe about two dozen um, case studies on passive solar, passive house um, types of designs. Right. Um, and, you know, she's got some really good um, pictures, some really good technical diagrams in there. Yep. Um, and for anybody that's thinking about building an environmental house, I, I definitely recommend it's worth the $40 investment. Um, and, you know, that it kind of, you know, it covers a lot of different kind of types of houses. So even if you're not going down the full zero energy route, it's still a good, good principle read. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just just deals with modern houses and the physical environment. And, cool. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's it's really cool and some really nice pictures in there. Nice pictures are good. Pictures are good. <laughs> they are good. Hey, uh, what are you doing in Thailand, Duncan? So at the moment, I'm working on residential um, projects, um, and by residential, it means a bit bigger than kind of houses. Uh-huh. Um, so the, house, the houses or the residences that I'm working up here are, you know, they're, they're, I'm working for expats um, and, and basically building their houses. And, uh, right. And Thailand and, um, working on a project in India as well. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's, it's really kind of designing houses that work with the tropical environment. So, you know, kind of, I guess, the opposite principles to New Zealand where it's, you know, designing for a temperate, cold climate. Um, so you have lots of thermal mass. Um, whereas in Southeast, Southeast Asia, it's, it's designing for that tropical environment and uh, really designing, really understanding how your materials work in a tropical environment. Concrete thermal mass is the worst material that you can have in a tropical environment. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. But that's but funny enough, that's how they build. They don't build out uh, timber up there. Uh, well, not normally. Uh, basically, the most economical way to build is um, in concrete. So in New Zealand, you know, I can I can heat a house from a concrete floor. Um, so so in in, uh, in Asia, it's really um, it's really designing houses that you know, that are based on passive airflow, and, um, and you know that's looking at how air moves through the site. Yeah, um, it looks at you know how we exhaust um, hot air in houses. Um, so yeah, so at the, at the moment I'm, I'm working on um, yeah a, a, a few residences for um, expats. Nice. And, uh, yeah, it's good. It's so they're they're people who are um, grateful to find a fellow Kiwi who can talk their language and build them a house that they uh, a sort of a Western style house in Thailand. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think it's it's it's, it's a, yeah, it's a Western style, but kind of you know adapted to uh, to Southeast Asia. Um, so still in still yeah. in keeping. Yeah, still in keeping for sure. Um, I mean, one one of one of the projects is you know it's a series of tropical villas, and, um, you know, which is kind of really based. I mean, the design is you know, a bit based on more or less Bal- Balinese style and, and Thai style uh, architecture. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, you wouldn't really get that in New Zealand. Uh, one of the projects is a series of modernist villas um, down in Southern Thailand, and um, that's yeah. I mean, that's they're very modernist, uh, but again, you know, the you know with the way that the roofs are designed and uh, the way that windows are laid out are all designed for cross ventilation and working with the seasonal monsoons. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, interesting but, challenges. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think yeah, for sure, it, it's you know, clients are quite happy to work with uh, a, uh, a Kiwi. And, yeah. Um, and you know, a, a fellow 
English-speaking um, person. So. Can yeah. you do work? Do you carry on doing work, uh, uh, New Zealand-based work, while you're over there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the one of the projects um, that's just recently been completed. Um, I mean, that was that was actually designed by Remote Control. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I worked in conjunction with a, a local grass person called Adrian Taylor. Um, in Kirikiri. and um, yeah, so we kind of worked together. I mean, he, he was a kind of great kind of technical asset, um, and uh, and and we we basically uh, well, he he helped helped out with the technical aspect, as in you know site photographs um, and you know some client kind of liaising. Um, yep. But the design was actually done up here, and and um, yeah, so that project's just just been completed. Nice. Uh, clients have recently moved in. Yep. Hmm. Awesome. Hey, look, um, time to, to wrap up and uh, some great content on your website. Is that the best place for people to get in touch with you if they want to find out more? Yes, that's, that's the best place to go. Um, so do you want to give us the, the address? Right. So if you go and check out us, uh, it's com, and Solare is spelled S-O-L-A-R-E-I. Dot yep. com. And um, you can uh, sign up to my newsletter or um, or just um, drop me an email. And I think it's good. I'm glad you brought up that because I think your newsletter jolted my memory, actually. And uh, it's it's fantastic that you are doing that because I think that's something that a few other designers could learn from to, to put out a bit of content and uh Send a send a newsletter out every now and again, now and again to to clients or, or potential clients. Yeah, I think you know, it's a great way to kind of keep in touch with people. Yeah, and um, and you know, I always you know receive you know positive feedback from the newsletters that we um, send out. Nice. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's a great way to keep in touch with people. Yeah, and it's all about the pictures. <laughs> and 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 some technical diagrams as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome. Hey, thank you very much uh, for your time, Duncan. Really appreciate it. No problem. Uh, hey, come thanks, and thanks for uh, the opportunity. yeah, drop us a line next time you're you're back uh, back in Auckland. Okay, sounds good. All right, take care, Matthew. Okay, cheers, Duncan. Thanks. Bye bye. And that was Duncan Firth from Solar Ray, and as he mentioned there, SolarRay dot com is S O L A R E I dot com, and I will put the links to that in the show notes, which you can find at homestylegreen.com slash 90 that's nine zero because this is episode number 90 century's coming on pretty fast i'm gonna to have to do something special for uh for our 100th episode um look, some great stuff in there obviously a man with some very um similar thoughts to my own and uh very interesting conversation about the size of eaves and i do encourage you to go over and check out Duncan's website, solaray.com. Um, there will be some slideshow images, I think, on the first page that sh- that um, show some pretty neat diagrams, actually, of how he uses that sun path to calculate the size of eaves. Um, really like that idea that he obviously drives right through his design, uh, starting with the passive solar design but then also passive ventilation as well and it's a little bit harder to get that right but again he's, he's got some good diagrams which shows how he goes about doing that so check those out um, 
Interesting that affordability, again, is such a big component of overall sustainability. And I really liked Duncan's reference to the term environmentally functional uh, as opposed to environmentally friendly. And I think that just captures quite nicely that concept of what designing for the environment and in, in tune with the environment actually means because that's kind of one of those, it's a bit of those that language that you hear architects or real estate agents use quite often when they're talking about how well a, a building is kind of in tune with its, its local environment. And half the time I think that's rubbish because uh, the, the house they're talking about sticks out like a sore thumb. But in, in Duncan's instance, I, I really like that idea of environmental functionality as opposed to environmental friendliness. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. If you uh, did and uh, found anything particularly interesting, that love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me as always at Matthew at homestylegreen.com. I'm also on Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus and LinkedIn and love to see you in any of those places. Thanks very much for tuning in and for listening to this episode. I'll, I'll be back again next week. I've got some more architects and designers lined up, so very excited about that. In the meantime, go make a better place to live.